Hello, I'm Michael Nyberg, Professor of History and Chair of War Studies at the United States Army War College in Carlisle, PA. And I'm here to talk about the genuine sense of panic in the United States in 1940 when France fell in May and June. This is the subject of my new book, When France Fell, The Vichy Crisis and the Fate of the Anglo-American Relationship. The sense of panic was genuine and severe in 1940. It made American strategists like Matthew Ridgway all the way to President Roosevelt realize that the United States had been acting in effect as a free rider on French and British security guarantees. And without those security guarantees, the United States could not defend itself and its core interests. Vichy, the rump state that was created by the armistice of 1940, maintained control over the French fleet and the French worldwide empire, which included the uh, colonies in Morocco, it included uh, Algeria, it included Martinique right here in the Western Hemisphere. So the geography itself had flipped and changed. Vichy had promised that it would keep the empire neutral and that it would also keep its navy neutral, which it also kept control of. But the French navy was modern, it was powerful. It had five battleships, 18 cruisers, one aircraft carrier, which was based in Martinique, 58 destroyers and 76 submarines. William Bullitt, the American diplomat, bluntly told President Roosevelt, quote, you will be unable to protect the United States from German attack, end quote, if the Axis got control of that fleet. So there was a tremendous amount of uncertainty in May and June of 1940, and it led to a real flurry of activity by a Congress that had been isolationist and had been trying not to think about national security issues. Between May and June of 1940, the U.S. Congress passed the Two Ocean Navy Act, which dedicated $8.5 billion dollars to build seven battleships, 18 aircraft carriers, 33 cruisers, 115 destroyers, 43 submarines, and 15,000 sea-based airplanes. It led to the Burke-Wadsworth Selective Service Act, which put in place national conscription in peacetime for the first time. It extended National Guard training. It called for a 2 million man army and 36,000 plane air corps. And at a time when the total United States federal budget was $9 billion, the United States contributed, excuse me, committed $12 billion to national defense. It also led to the Destroyers for Bases Agreement and a secret executive order on wiretaps from President Roosevelt signed on May 21st, 1940 to guard against the possibility of German spies operating here in the US as many Americans believed had been the case in France. It also led to Roosevelt shifting his cabinet around in advance of the 1940 presidential election and bringing in two Republicans, Henry Stimson and Frank Knox, to be the Secretary of War and Secretary of Navy, respectively. What to do about the Vichy government remained an open question. Most Americans were appalled by the Vichy regime and what it did. Uh, the more it got to know the Vichy government, the more appalled they became. But the U.S. government decided to recognize the Vichy regime uh, in opposition to the policy that the British government had taken at the same time. The United States sent William Leahy, the future chairman, effective chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff and one of Roosevelt's closest supporters and allies, to become the American ambassador in Vichy, France. This policy not only upset the British, it upset a lot of Americans, not least of which uh, Dr. Seuss, Theodore Geisel, who was doing cartoons for PM Magazine, who drew several cartoons extremely critical of American policy toward Vichy. The last scene of the movie Casablanca, where Claude Rains' character drops a bottle of Vichy water into a waste paper basket, uh, would not have gone unnoticed by Americans of that era. The United States eventually did begin to sour on Vichy for all kinds of reasons, but instead of turning to Charles de Gaulle, whom the British had selected, the United States tried for Henri Giraud, a Frenchman with an untarnished military reputation and a man who had escaped from a German prison near Dresden, turning him into a hero throughout the world. 
The United States, however, had continued to resist the idea of Charles de Gaulle as a leader for the Free French Movement, leading Winston Churchill to remark to President Roosevelt that, quote, the United States and Britain cannot each have their pet Frenchman. And the relationship between the United States and Vichy France and Free France created more trouble between the American and British uh, allies than any other incident in the European theater of war. Indeed, any other incident, I would argue, uh, throughout the early part of the 20th century. The United States maintained its hatred of de Gaulle, maintained its support of Giraud, uh, causing at one point uh, the Secretary of State, Cordell Hull, to consider resigning uh, over Vichy French policy. Vichy France is also the cause of the United States in the form also of, of, of Secretary Hall uh, acknowledging what was going on in Europe in terms of the genocide of European Jews and Vichy's responsibility and Vichy's relationship to it. So the relationship between the U.S. and Vichy uh, touches on virtually all parts of the Second World War in the European theater. It also touches on issues to Syria, to Iraq, to Japan, because of the worldwide presence of the French Empire, which again, Vichy controlled. At the end of the book, I talk about the American decision to turn to a man named Admiral Jean-Francois Darlon uh, after the Operation Torch uh, landings to run North Africa instead of turning to Charles de Gaulle. That relationship turned also incredibly controversial in the United States. Uh, the Americans were, however, rescued by a free Frenchman who assassinated Darlon on Christmas Eve 1942, opening up again the question of what the United States was to do about France. Just before the Normandy landings, the United States finally came to the belated conclusion that Vichy was a broken reed on which the United States could not build its policy and had to switch to Charles de Gaulle. But this policy and these debates had many legacies going forward, lasting all the way, of course, into the time when Dwight Eisenhower and Charles de Gaulle were both heads of their respective states. Thank you.